We are in a a series about the parables, and so Jesus tells these incredibly provocative little stories that help shape our thoughts about life and how things should work. And and Jesus uses these stories to, they really provoke your thought process. So he used stories that were relevant to the people that were listening, and some of it gets lost in translation, so we have to kind of fill in the gaps a little bit, and we're going to do some of that today with the story. But today we're going to talk about the parable of the vineyard workers that's found in Matthew 20. So if you want to uh, find it in your Bibles or on your tablets or your phones, that's where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 20. Now, we live in America. This is a great country, and one of the things we're noted for is justice. And so uh, there's this expression, justice is blind. And so this is sort of the, uh, the icon of the justice system. You have this woman and she's got the scales. And so the idea is the evidence will present itself. Uh, the scales of justice will prevail. There's the sword in her right hand, which means that uh, uh, justice, when it is uh, uh, decided, will be uh, uh, will be executed. And then uh, the thing I wanted you to notice is she has a blindfold on. So justice is supposed to be blind. That everybody gets a fair shake. But we know that's not true. And I read this super interesting article this week about these, these researchers did, um, they, they looked at judges. Overall, these judges had about 22 years of experience. So these weren't fresh, like green guys, they were girls. Uh, these were people who were really experienced. And they noticed, these were judges that uh, gave out paroles. And they noticed they were much more likely to give out a parole when they weren't hungry. Which you think that's really just not fair. So they did this research. 65% of parolees or uh, potential parolees received a parole near, near breakfast, right after the justices had uh, eaten. And then uh, the parole uh, average goes down after that. And then they have a mid-morning snack and it goes back to 65%. And then it goes down after that. And then the people that they hear right after lunch, 65%. And we listen to that and we think to ourselves, well, that's just not fair. It's not fair. So where you are in the queue of, seeing, of being before a judge matters more than justice, it seems. And it's just not fair. And we have this um, uh, gene, uh, this fairness gene. Where we say to ourselves, life ought to be fair. That's why kids, when they get Skittles, will count how many Skittles they have to see if they have less than their sister. Uh, you know, they have 27 and she has 28 and they cry like their little hearts are broken because we have this fairness gene. We want it to be fair. And it's not always fair. And Jesus tells this story to provoke uh, thoughts around fairness. Now, I just finished listening to a book about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is a picture of him. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Germany when Hitler came to power. He was a pacifist. And so that means he didn't want to have anything to do with the war at all. One way or the other. He wasn't for or against anybody. He just didn't want to have anything to do with war. And that was his teaching and his thought process. And yet... And this, by the way, was a really long book. It, took, it was 22 and a half hours to listen to it, so it was really long. It was written by a guy named uh, Eric Metaxas. It's really good if you want to read it, but it was long. And so Bonhoeffer, 
He was well-connected in, in German society. He had a, a brother who was a lawyer, and uh, his, his dad, I can't remember now exactly what he did, but it was kind of a, a, a wealthy businessman. And so they had connections, and he began to hear of the atrocities of the Third Reich that they were, uh, they were, uh, they were treating, how they were treating the Jews and how they were treating um, uh, others. And so... His thought, he was provoked to change his mind. It was really interesting. And so he went from being a pacifist, not wanting to have anything to do with it, to actively being a spy for the resistance and being a part of a plan to assassinate Hitler. Now, if you've seen the movie Valkyrie, you may have seen that movie with uh, uh, little Tommy Cruz. Uh, 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 if you've seen that movie... It's about this plot to assassinate Hitler, and it doesn't mention Bonhoeffer at all in that. But uh, he was part of that plan, and when that didn't act, that when that didn't work, he was arrested, put in a prison camp, uh, where he eventually was executed. In fact, it was only like three or four weeks before uh, before Hitler um, fell. Um, it was quite a shame. But there are things in our lives, when we hear them, it provokes us to action. That's why he said this, silence is in the face of evil is evil itself. And God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And so Jesus tells this thought-provoking story that his first century audience would have understand, understood completely. And we're going to understand it too by the time the day is over. So Jesus starts like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. There's this contract. Now, you have to understand the context. People in that day, in Jesus' day, didn't have a lot of surplus. And so to get a job for the day was a huge deal for your family. They basically lived hand to mouth. They didn't have lots of reserves. And so to get a job, they would go to the, the, to the town square. And that's where they would, they would bring their tool belt, you know, and they would, they would show up ready for work. Now, a work day, does anybody know how long a work day was in Jesus' day? Anybody? It was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They had bad unions, evidently. And so if you went, you went early. And so in your mind, you need to get the idea, okay, this landowner goes to the city square and there are guys hanging around who need a job and he hires them. And he says, hey, you go work one full day and I'm going to give you one denarius. That is the wage. That is a contract that they made. This will be like today if you went up to Lowe's or you went to Home Depot and you had your, uh, you know, your tool belt and your ladder on your truck and you were ready to work and you just sort of let people know, hey man, I can help you if you need help. That's the situation except these people needed the work just to survive. So he hires this crew. They're the 6 a.m.ers, and they are going to work one full day. The vineyard, by the way, is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. And so you see it like in Isaiah, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. So the story isn't so much about work ethic as it is about who gets to be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, you have these factions of folks in Jesus' day. There were some folks who thought you could earn it, and, and they were very prominent. 
uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the teachers of the law, the scribes. You hear about these guys. So, Jesus is telling the story to them, but everyone else is going to listen as well. About nine in the morning, three hours later, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace. They're standing around the city square doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. And he went out again at noon and also again at three in the afternoon and did the same thing. (laughs) Now, the six o'clockers, they were under contract. You work for 12 hours, I'm going to pay you a denarius. Here it says, I will pay you whatever is right. Real quick, just a survey. How many of you would work for somebody if they said, I don't know what I'm going to pay you, but I'll pay you whatever's right? It depends on who you're working for, right? So, I'm going to go to Kentucky this week to work for my mother. You know what she pays me? Whatever's right, you know, uh, uh, whatever she wants to pay me. She won't pay me anything, but she'll feed me, which is always great. And that'll be plenty. Mama, that'll be great. Uh, so, because she's like the only person that watches online. So thank you, Mom. Um, uh, but we'll go and she'll, but that's, you have to trust the person that's employing you if you go with this. I'll pay you whatever's right. And so they decide they're going to pay whatever's right. By the way, this whole idea of the city square, I don't know, we don't have one of those, really, I don't think, any place. Uh, but uh, you get it in your mind, right, that there's this, this town square. And so when we lived in Kentucky, I was looking at the map one day, and there is a place in Kentucky called Vest, Kentucky, my last name, Vest, Kentucky. And I was going to be there. It's down by Whitesburg, or as we say in Kentucky, Whitesburg. And uh, I was going to be down that direction, kind of in the mountains of Kentucky. And so I decided um, we're going to go see what Vest, Kentucky looks like. And I had in my mind what it's going to look like. You know, there's going to be like this uh, red uh, brick building in the middle, and, and everybody, the little shops around, a little picket fence. I was so excited to see Vest, Kentucky until I saw Vest, Kentucky which was eight trailers and a holler. I mean, really, it was just not really that much. It was really not that great. But we get in our minds. So Jesus goes to the city square, and there are people there that he hires to work in the vineyard. This landowner goes, and he hires workers. (laughs) These next guys, this is great. About five in the afternoon, five (laughs) o'clockers. All right, how much more time is there to work? One hour. Why did they even go? One has to wonder, what have they been doing all day? I mean, have they been playing video games? You know, did they stay up too late last night? They went to a graduation party. I don't know what they've been doing. But at five in the afternoon, the landowner goes out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? This is the greatest excuse of all time. Because no one hired us. Duh. Uh, You know, it's like uh, nobody hired us. You also go and work in my vineyard. Now, you talk about guys with no leverage. These guys have no leverage. There's no, uh, there's no negotiation on price. This is like trying to sell Christmas trees on December 26th. No leverage. They got nothing. And so they are just happy that he says, you also go and work in my vineyard. What this is going to mean for them. Now, they, I, you sh- Surely they think to themselves, okay, this is going to be prorated. 
I mean, I'm, I'm going to get a twelfth of a denarius or whatever. I'm going to get something. He will surely pay me something. I can't go and not, and, and not get paid at all, so I bet he'll pay me something. Now, this is a very interesting hiring process. He hires people at 6 in the morning, 9 in the morning, noon, 3, and 5. And if you think the hiring process is a bit sketch, you are gonna, it's going to blow your mind when he talks about the compensation. How he compensates them. And it all sort of shifts. Verse 8. Everything kind of makes sense so far. It's all sort of made sense. Alright, there's guys, there's a landowner, he has a vineyard, he needs help. And, and I'm assuming vineyarding, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, uh, uh, vineyard working is messy and dirty. I mean, I've, I've had some messy, dirty jobs. Uh, in Kentucky, we grow tobacco, lots of tobacco. And uh, I've, I've cut tobacco, it's horrible. I've put tobacco up in the barn, it is sticky and it gets all over you. And so, this, had, this couldn't be a great job. It's not a great job. But they're working, and they're going to get paid, and they're going to be able to feed their family, and so it's payday. And I don't know about you, I like payday. I even like the candy bar named Payday. I like it all. Everything about payday I like. All right, so, verse 8. When evening came, it was payday. Every day was payday because you worked one day at a time. The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going to the first. This is the first little turn in the story. First little twitch. Because this is atypical. What you would typically do is pay the first ones hired first. They've been there the longest. They're the tiredest. They want to go home. They, you're going to give them the most. You'd pay them first, but... In this story, Jesus turns it. He's provoking them to thought. So up to this point, the audience would be listening. And then when he said this, they were like, well, that's different. It, well, it's not different that you hired guys at 6, or at 9, or at 12, or at 3, or at 5. That's not different. But that you paid them in reverse order, well, now all of a sudden, Jesus gets their attention telling the story. The foreman is going to pay them. The landowner is the, providing the funds to pay them. But they're starting with the last ones hired and they're going to get paid first. Now, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received 12 times more than they deserved. They, they got a full day's pay for a twelfth of a day's work. It, it was... It was a lot of money. And all of a sudden, all right, so in my mind, this is how this goes down. They, they get a Daenerys, Daenerys in their hands, and they're thinking one of two things, or maybe both things. Either the landowner is incredibly generous, or somebody made a mistake. It's one of the two. He's either really generous, or they think we're six o'clockers and we're five o'clockers. So, now what do you do? <laughs> do you say something? Dude, I think you paid me too much. Or are you like that? There's an old joke about a guy. He gets paid $200 too much on one check one week. And then the next week they, they find out, that they, they discover the mistake and they take it out. And he goes and complains. 
And he says, hey man, you're $200 short. You gave me $200 short. And they said, well, you didn't complain last week. He said, yeah, but now you're making it a habit. Uh, and you know, it's kind of the joke. And, and so uh, now all of a sudden, do you say something? The guys are either really generous or, or they just made a mistake. And they have to be thinking to themselves, okay, I'm going to get out of here as fast as I can because I want to take this money home because now I can actually buy food for my family that may last for more than just a day. And all right, to get a feel for how that must have felt to them, um, when you do your taxes, we just come through tax season, let's say you do your taxes and you do it yourself or you have somebody do it for you and they say to you, uh, you're going to get a refund. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the word refund, I hear angels. Hallelujah. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I spend this? Can I spend it before Miriam finds out? You know, uh, what's it going to look like? Um, and this was, this had to be the celebration in, in their minds. We have gotten much more than we deserve. I mean, it's like this is remarkable and I've got to figure out what to do with this money. And so with great joy, they take their pay, which, by the way, now everybody who was not a, not, not a 12, 12 hour guy gets paid a denarius. They're, they're all celebrating. They're, they're all, you know, going to Sonic, you know, uh, having a slushy in the afternoon, you know, uh, uh, they're all excited and now the 12-hour guys show up. These are the ones who have worked uh, in the heat all day. Maybe the worst job I ever had. Now, the whole, the whole tobacco thing was bad. Uh, one time I was hired by a farmer who had sheep. And it was shearing season. And so they sheared the sheep. And I was the guy that collected the wool and put it in a, a huge burlap bag. Burlap sack it was huge it was probably 10 12 feet tall and you had to climb up and stuff it in and you got the lanolin all over you it was really really mucky and not nice well these guys are thinking okay we've worked really hard for this guy and he owes us if he's paying those guys a denarius then he owes us more than a denarius so when those came who were hired first they expected to receive more yeah because that is, what's the word? Fair. It worked more. They should get more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And right now, every one of our fairness radar is going off, because that's not fair. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. You're darn tootin'. Because look at what they say. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've given, made them equal. You've given them the same pay. You made them equal to us. We who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day, and every South Carolinian knows what it's like to work in the heat of the day. We know what it's like to work in the humid of the day, too. I mean, we know. We know the feel of this. And so he is, they are extremely upset. And now, Everyone listening to this story is intrigued. They're provoked. Now, it's important to understand Jesus isn't setting corporate pay policy here. 
He's not telling, hey, this is how you should pay people. Uh, typically, if someone works 12 times more than another person, they should get compensated more. This isn't about corporate pay. This is about who gets to be a part of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, anybody, everybody, uh, those uh, six o'clockers and those five o'clockers and everybody in the middle can be a part of the kingdom. And, and sinful people love Jesus. Now, we live in a society now that says you can't love somebody unless you approve of what they do. Jesus didn't do it that way. Think about the woman caught in adultery. It's a great story. This woman, this is a setup. They, they catch this woman in the act of adultery. Can you imagine the embarrassment? Not only that. The Mosaic Law, the law under which the Jews functioned, said that if you're caught in the act of adultery, you can be stoned. You, you should be stoned to death. Now, there's a lot of ways to die. Getting hit with a bunch of rocks until you die seems very brutal to me. And so, they uh, parade this woman in front of Jesus. It is likely that she has, she is, they may have pulled her right out of the bed. They throw her in the dirt in front of God and everybody. And they ask Jesus a question. It is a trick question. Jesus, the Mosaic Law says we are to stone this woman. What do you say? Because, look, it's a no-win situation. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, but it's not good. If he says, okay, well, we should stone her, well, then now all of a sudden he's not very loving. If he says, no, we need to ignore the Mosaic Law, then everybody's like, well, then he can't be a prophet because he doesn't even believe the law of the Old Testament. The brilliance of Jesus in these instances is unbelievable. He says, okay, let's obey the Mosaic Law. Let's do it. Whoever has no sin, go, start. You're first. He who is without sin, cast the first stone. And they were all like, I mean, can you... I think to myself, if I had been one of Jesus' disciples and he did stuff like that, I'd be, I'd be going, mm-hmm, what are you going to do with that, huh? I would have been talking so much smack. I'd have been all over that. Mm, where's your Moses now? I, I would have been all over it. Because, I mean, I just <laughs> who I am. And they dropped the rocks and they walked away. And Jesus didn't say, oh, honey, adultery's not that bad. Didn't say that. He said, who is here to accuse you? And she said, no one. He said, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. He didn't approve of it. But he loves people. He wants people in the vineyard, in the kingdom. And that's what this whole story is about. See, there are people who resent God's grace. There are some folks who are trying to earn God's favor. They want it so bad. So this verse says, he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you. Listen, I'm not being unfair. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with my own money what I want? Or are you envious of my generosity? And there are people who are envious. That word literally means, 
Are your eyes evil toward me? Are you envious? We see envy in Scripture all the time. There was a time where Saul was the king of Israel and there was a young man named David and he was getting a lot of acclaim. And this is the language that they used about that. It says that he looked at David with envy. They were envious of David. They were, um, or he was envious of David. Um, uh, Pilate, he uh, was judge over Jesus. And it says, oh, let me go back to this just for a second. There are people who are trying to win God's favor. Let's call them workers. They are uh, doing things. They think if I do the right things, if I obey all the rules, God will have to let me in. In fact, for, for some of us, those who have been in church a long time, we think, you know, we've lived a pretty good life. God's kind of lucky to have me on the team. It's the workers. They're trying to work their way. Then there are others. They're gracers. They are people who they understand on their own, they don't get in. But because God is so generous, He will let them in. See, sinful people love Jesus. They loved Him because He was so accepting. But the, the workers, they have this, this spirit about them. And if we're not careful, we become people who say, all right, I'm going to work my way into God's favor. So let's talk about it just for a second. The marks of a performance-based Christians, there's about three of them. The first one is, it produces a grumbling spirit within me. When they received their wage, they began to grumble at the landowner. Have you ever had a grumbling spirit? When I was, a long time ago, I hurt my back. I hurt my back... <laughs> I was raising the window in my bedroom and I heard my back pop. It is the stupidest thing of all time. Not only did it hurt, it really hurt. And now all of a sudden, I can't hardly move. I'm walking like Frankenstein. It's horrible. And I needed... When, when you hurt physically, now all of a sudden, nothing goes your way. And I had stuff to do, and I couldn't do it, and I, I was annoyed, and I needed... I felt like I needed somebody to attend to me. To tend to me. And I had a, a wife. Her name is Miriam. She's still my wife. And uh, I didn't feel like she was attending to me the way she should. I mean, she seemed to think she should take care of our six-year-old, four-year-old, and two-year-old. But no, not attend to me. And so I was a little grumbly about that. I, I had a little grumbly spirit about it. <laughs> not out loud, that's stupid. Uh, but, but I... I had a little grumbly spirit about it. And, and I, I, then I thought to myself, you know what? For, for most of my life, I've felt pretty good. I mean, here I am, I've gotten this far in life. This is really the first pain, physical pain I've had. It's been a bit a while ago. Uh, it was the first time. I, I usually feel good. Because here's the antidote to a grumbling spirit. It, it's the... The discipline of noticing. You start noticing all that God does for you. Because it's all a gift. You take a breath, it's a gift. Somebody gives you a kind word, it's a gift. You eat a good meal. You eat a great meal, that, that seems like a gift. You know what, you eat a good meal, that's still a gift. You eat uh, Vianna sausage and crackers, it's a gift. 
Cheese and crackers, not a gift. Uh, so you have to be careful. You breathe air, it's a gift. You know, you want to know, you're not, you don't live on Pluto. Breathing air is a gift. Um, have you been outside lately? I mean, you're outside and you hear birds and there are trees. Think about living like in New York City where there's none of that. And we have trees and in my yard there's a mockingbird. It is amazing. He sings all the, or she, I don't know, uh, they, this bird sings all these different songs and it's so fast and it's like, how do they do that? And <laughs> yesterday, we have a bunch of cats around that, that are around, not our cats, but people have cats, and they kind of show up. And um, we like it because we don't have a lot of snakes, and evidently cats are taking care of it. We don't have to feed them. I love that. Uh, but th- we have this one cat. His name is Earl. Well, we, we named him Earl. He's gray, and I thought Earl Gray sounded funny. Uh, so uh, we named him Earl. I think it's a she, actually. I, I don't know. Uh, Earlene, whatever. Uh, Earl is around, you know. And Earl was on the porch. And it's fun. We're on the back porch, and we're watching Earl. Have you ever watched a cat stalk a bird? And they, man, they just lay. You know, it's like lay, and it's like, Earl ain't going to get nothing. You know, it's like, uh, Earl's kind of fat. You know, it's like, <laughs> the birds are safe. So Earl watched the birds on the feeder. And we're like, well, should we say something? It's like, yeah, birds, I mean, don't they have radar? Yeah, you know, surely they're going to know. And Earl sneaks up, and Earl jumped like he was Michael Jordan. (laughs) I have never seen anything like it. It was like watching one of those those shows, like on the Discovery Channel, Earl. It was slow motion. Earl jumped, he's hanging in air. And he grabbed one of those birds. And I'm like, this is the worst and greatest moment of my life. I mean, it's like, simultaneously, it was amazing. It's like, I'm glad I witnessed it, but I sure don't, I wish I didn't have to see it. You know, it's like, this was awesome. Now I give the birds a little warning. I got a bell. You know, it's like, get away, Earl's here, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's a gift. Not to the bird. Uh, but to us, it was, it was like, gosh, we get to see this stuff. You think about the gift that you have. You have freedom. I mean, this is Memorial Day weekend. We have freedom because people sacrifice their lives so that we could be free. And I can say what I want to say. And I can go to church the way I want to go to church. And that's not for everybody in this world today. Not everybody has that. We have so much to be grateful for. We, we, we just need to notice some of these things. That's why worship is so indispensable. We sing to get our minds off of our problems and to focus on God who is the giver of all good gifts. And on your outline, if you are looking at your outline, there's a little space under the antidote to grumbling. And maybe today, maybe right now, you just think to yourself, do it in your mind. You say, you know, here's something that I've been not noticing that's really awesome that I should thank God for. There's something in my life that, and I think God will provoke you to say, hey, you really should thank me for this. You should thank me for this. There's a second kind of spirit it's called the spirit of resentfulness you be we, we start to be resentful 
He said, don't I have the right to do what I want to? Uh, can, can I do what I want to? Resentful, th- this spirit is, uh, I look at you and I'm jealous of you. I'm envious of you. I talked about it just a second ago. Pilate, I was mentioning this. Pilate said uh, about the guys who brought uh, uh, Jesus to them, he realized that by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. They, had, they gave Jesus the stink eye, basically. When you're selling a house in this market, you often, if you price it right, get multiple offers. Now, uh, one of the little things that people are doing now is if you're in a multiple offer situation, you write a letter. And you say, basically, uh, dear people selling the house, this is why you should choose our offer. And, and it'll be stuff like, it's usually, you know, we, uh, we love the way you uh, decorated your house. Or we could see our family growing into this house, blah, blah. You know, just that uh, syrupy stuff. If you want to buy my house, this is what you need to write in the letter. Dear Pastor Vest, I notice across the street there's kudzu. But you don't have any in your yard. I vow to you, Pastor Vest, that I will not let kudzu, that satanic weed, take over your yard. Because I can tell you have taken great energies and expended copious amounts of money fending off stupid kudzu. I vow to you, sir, that kudzu will never take over your yard. If you write that in a letter, done deal. Because here's the thing about kudzu. It is relentless. I killed every shred of kudzu in my yard, except all the stuff that just came up after the big rain. I mean, it's like every time it rains, there's more kudzu. It's like, how could that even be? I've killed everything, except not everything. And here's the thing about this spirit of resentfulness. It kind of is dormant at times. And then it sort of, now all of a sudden it's there. All of a sudden it's there. And if you're, if you're not diligent, look, tomorrow I have a day off, guess what I'll be doing? Killing kudzu. Because if you don't stay on top of it, it will take over and it's the same with with resentment if you don't stay on top of it it'll take over now there's an antidote to resentfulness this spirit it is to think about god's love not we we have verses for god so loved the world and we know god loves everybody corporately but god loves you it's really important you personalize it Brennan Manning tells this cute story about this uh, Italian uh, priest and he was going through one of the villages and he sees a peasant and this peasant is just on the side of the road and he notices he's praying. So he goes to the peasant and he says, uh, you must be very close to God uh, to be praying out in public like this. And the peasant says, yes, God is very fond of me. And I think it is a brilliant thing to say. God is very fond of you. And so if you've never done this before, 1 John 3 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Have you ever made that verse personal to you? 
See what great love the Father has lavished on to me. Me. That I should be called a child of God. And that is what I am. It's, it's personalizing the love that God has for each of us. The third spirit is a judgmental spirit. That's when I start to really uh, compare myself. Look at what it says here. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them, what's the word, equal. We've done more, we've worked harder, we've done things. There's a superiority complex here. We've done more. We deserve more. Judgmental. How do you know what somebody's done? How do you know what they've gone through? You don't know. See, when you serve not for reward, when you're serving because you... Look, <laughs> those guys that got hired at 5 o'clock, they worked for an hour. In my mind, I think they really... I bet they, I bet they brought it. If it's me, I'm so happy to get a job for an hour. I am doing everything I can. They served because they... <laughs> It was pure grace that they were hired. Some of us, we work like our salvation depends on us. Rather than working and, and serving people because it's a gift to God. We just, we just want to do something out of thanksgiving for God. And, and some people, some of us, we work and work and work as if God is only going to approve of us if we do something. And for some of us, maybe we just need to accept somebody doing something for us. We don't ever want anybody to do anything for us because we never want to be indebted to anybody. Shame on you. If somebody wants to do something for you and you don't let them, you steal a blessing they want to give you. Shame on you. Jesus, his last night on earth, he took a towel and washed his disciples' feet. And Peter said, no, dude, no. <laughs> like, Jesus like, yes. I want to set an example for you, but you have to understand, sometimes you take service. Maybe you need to get a little bell and let your spouse know when you need to be served. Ding, ding, ding. Worst advice of all time right there. Bad advice. Sorry. Bad I had that in the first sermon and Miriam said, no, that's, that's dumb. Jesus' parables are brilliant because they make you think that you're one of the characters. Which of the characters am I? And so, uh, Philip Yancey, who's this, he's this great author, he writes about this parable and he, and he said basically this. He said, most of us see ourselves as the six o'clockers. We think we are really doing something good for, especially those of us who grew up in the church. And we don't have any, you know, uh, grievous sins. And so we kind of think, well, uh, God's, he's probably happy to have me on the team. And Yancey writes this, and this is profound. We risk missing the story's point that God dispenses gifts, not wages. Because truth be told, we're all five o'clockers. You, 
are a five o'clocker. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, hey, buddy, you're a five o'clocker. Do it right now. You're a five o'clocker. We're all five o'clockers. We're all five o'clockers. Uh, if you say that out to somebody out there, you'll have to explain it a little bit. Um, we, we all are lucky. And so the antidote to judgmentalism is to extend grace to somebody. You're going to have opportunities. You always do. It could be to your, your kids or your spouse or your server, somebody driving. We have lots of opportunities to give grace when we're driving. The remarkable thing about this story isn't the six o'clockers, and it's not even the five o'clockers. It's the landowner who goes back and back and back and back and back to the city square so that his vineyard might be full. He is the hero of the story. World War II, the Red Cross was active in securing blood for those who are injured. And because of the Red Cross, they were willing to give blood to both um, enemies and foes. To give it to anybody because that, they felt, was their mission. Now, the doctors in the Red Cross came up with an interesting strategy. You see, they started at the time collecting the names of the people who donated blood so that if you uh, re uh, uh, received an infusion, you could uh, write a letter to the person who gave the blood and thank them for their donation. So, what they started doing was they started giving German officers, they offered them blood transfusions from Jewish donors. And they would approach them like this. They would say, well, here's the bad news. The bad news is if you don't get a blood transfusion, you're going to die. It's really bad news. You're in the deep weeds, and if you don't get a transfusion, you're going to die. The good news is we found a donor for you. He's Jewish. She's Jewish. So you have a choice. Will you humble yourself? And receive this Jewish blood or not. See, that's what salvation is. There was a guy who hung on a cross who donated his blood because we're in bad shape. We need a transfusion. The bad news is we're in trouble. We're all sinners. It's the bad news. We're not in the kingdom. Bad news. The good news is someone was willing to give their blood so that we could have life. The moral of the story of the vineyard workers is you can be in. God wants you in. And I don't know if this weekend, today, this moment, this last half hour might be the first time you've ever thought about, you know what? I've been trying to earn God's favor. Perhaps it's time for me to accept a gift called grace and admit I can't do it on my own and accept the gift that God wants to give me.
after the service is over, in just a second, I'm going to pray, and then I'll make an announcement or two, and then after the service is over, I'm going to hang out right here. If you want to talk, if you want to chat, that's the place. Uh, to come, come say hey to me, and if you have questions, that's the, that's the place that's going to happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this word that you've given us today. Thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made. We love you, and we thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.